0: Identifying and recognizing bipolar illness is not simply an academic exercise. The clinical stakes for missing the bipolar diagnosis are enormous. Are you screening the bipolar spectrum in your headache patients? You're listening to ReachMDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, your host, and with me today is Dr. Larry Robbins. Dr. Robbins is Assistant Professor of Neurology, at Rush Medical College, and director of the Robbins Headache Clinic in Northbrook, Illinois. He is the author of two books, Headache Help, and also Management of Headache and Headache Medications. In 2008, he was named as the Pain Physician of the Year, and he has consistently been named one of Chicago's top doctors, as well as one of America's top doctors. Today, we're discussing the bipolar spectrum in migraine, cluster, and chronic tension headache. Thank you for being with us today, Dr. Robbins.
1: Thank you for having me again.
0: Now, first of all, what do practicing primary care docs or subspecialty physicians not know about recognizing bipolar disease?
1: I think it, it runs a gamut. Some primary care docs are very good with anxiety, depression, and bipolar, and some of all kinds of docs miss it. Bipolar tends to be underdiagnosed, particularly the mild end of the spectrum. Occasionally, it is overdiagnosed. There was a reasonably well-done study of patients who came into the hospital psych unit. And there are occasional patients who are diagnosed as bipolar who have something else. Usually it's a personality disorder or just severe depression. But the flip side is much more that the milder end particularly gets underdiagnosed.
0: So tell us a little bit about the spectrum and why it's being missed.
1: Well, I think the bipolar one with mania is easy. People end up in the emergency room. They end up with periods of mania where it gets diagnosed. It's really the milder end of the spectrum that we're talking about. And it tends to be just treated as depression and anxiety with people just bouncing from antidepressant to antidepressant with predictably poor results. So we look for all the mild manifestations of the bipolar spectrum.
0: What are the stakes in missing the diagnosis for the primary care doctor?
1: Well, people tend to get poor results from the antidepressants. They either don't do well or they become hypomanic and they're not on the mood stabilizers, which don't always work. You know, 50% of the problem is diagnosing bipolar, but the other 50% is really it's not easy to have, it's not e- easy to have a family member, and it's not always easy to treat. It's not that the medicines are that difficult, but they don't always work. We often end up with two or three medicines, and people have to get a little bit lucky with the mood stabilizers. But often what I hear in somebody who's 45 years old and they might have tried one or two mood stabilizers, finally you hit the right one and they say, I just feel even. I feel better than in 30 years.
0: Don't patients sometimes feel better and stop taking them?
1: Absolutely. Particularly because of the side effects of the medicine. Tiredness and weight gain skewer a lot of meds and people go off. But a lot of people, if you can use lower doses for the mild end of the bipolar spectrum, will stay on the same meds for years and do very well.
0: Now let's bring headache into this. Is there an observed relationship to headache? Tell us a little bit about what you found.
1: Well, there's been several studies in bipolar patients where 30 to 45% have migraine. So certainly if somebody's diagnosed with bipolar, they may very well have migraines. But we looked at patients with migraine the other way, and there's been several studies like this. And we found that 8.6% of migraine patients fit the bipolar spectrum, now the normal population probably it's around 4%, 4 to 4.5%, not the 1.2% that is bandied about. That's really more bipolar 1. So the whole spectrum is about double in migraine patients. So I'm always on the lookout for it. We also looked at 18 years of accumulated cluster headache patients, about 280 cluster headache patients and about 6.6% were bipolar. And then interestingly enough, I collected patients with just tension headache with no migraine features. Now, it's hard to find people with just daily tension headaches with no migraine features. But over the years, we had over 200 of them. And it was only about 4.5% or so were bipolar it wasn't any more than the regular population. So really, it's migraine where bipolar is increased.
0: Now, your practice is primarily headache-related in patients, correct? And you're a neurologist. How did you begin to tease out or study this relationship with the multiple types of headaches and the association with bipolar? Was it something you were seeing clinically, or how did you come upon this?
1: I've always been interested in this, and I think that there's a relationship, of course, with anxiety, depression, with headaches. They fuel each other. They also run together genetically in families. It's the same chemical systems. And we end up treating often the anxiety and depression. And I think that the clinical stakes, as you mentioned, for missing bipolar are really enormous. So I started asking about the mild end of the bipolar spectrum in people with depression, particularly younger people with depression. I don't want to miss bipolar. We don't want to fuel the brain with antidepressants and kindle the brain. So we look for early depression, particularly if you follow teenagers who've been diagnosed with depression until they're 30 years old. At least 60% of the time, it turns out to be bipolar. We look for quick onset, severe depression, cyclical depression, where there's been no precipitating, depressing thing in people's lives. So they hit spring, and all of a sudden, they're depressed. Of course, we look for family history. The typical bipolar family history is mom was an alcoholic, uncle committed suicide. You look for institutionalization, suicide, et cetera. We look for very angry, agitated personalities and of course, we do look at response to medicine. Say people say they went on Sudafed or prednisone or an antidepressant and they were wired and up all night. That, according to DSM IV, we can't use. But of course, we do use it as one criteria for diagnosing the mild end of the bipolar spectrum.
0: For those of you just tuning in, you're listening to the Clinicians Roundtable on Reach MDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, and I'm speaking with neurologist and headache expert, Dr. Larry Robbins. Dr. Robbins, do you think that non psychiatric primary care providers may feel kind of helpless about a bipolar diagnosis, making one and then dealing with it?
1: Some do. I think that the level of psychiatric care in the general MD population has gotten very good. Internists and family practitioners have become pretty good at treating headaches and becoming more aware of the bipolar spectrum, primarily because we've had more programs on them, and we've had the drugs, so the companies promote programs. So the last 15 years, there's been a lot of education. I think that a lot of the primary care docs are very good, a number of them, with depression, anxiety, and with bipolar, and they're in a good place to treat the patient because they know the family, they know the patient, rather than having to go to a psychiatrist. I think that bipolar 1 with mania, patients should at least have a consultation with a psychiatrist, and you can make the case for everybody in the bipolar spectrum. But as you know, in certain areas, psychiatrists are hard to come by because of insurance and time and money. People often just end up with their regular doctor who I think is in a good position to treat headaches and bipolar.
0: So should they be prepared that patients are going to relapse on their medication, even if it's an appropriate medication for that patient, or if they find the right mood stabilizer, the patients will do okay for an extended period of time?
1: Well, it varies on a case-by-case basis. Some people do become refractory or or they cycle into a worse depression, but that actually happens more with, with headaches. We have more tachyphylaxis to the medications where people become tolerant, the preventives don't work. Once you hit on the right mood stabilizer or combination of medicines for bipolarity, often people do well for months, years, or decades.
0: Now, you mentioned the spectrum of bipolar disease and patients may be coming to a primary care provider and bringing questions about their headaches and looking for help. What kind of questions should be asked when evaluating a headache patient based on your study and some of your results?
1: Well, we do a screening for depression, but if you don't, we certainly ask about depression and moods because it's very important. When we look at headache patients, everybody's different. If if you have 10 headache patients, you end up with 10 different medicine regimens because we look at comorbidities. It fuels where we're going to go with medicine. So one person might have high blood pressure, another diabetes, how their stomach is. We see a lot of irritable bowel with headache patients. But if they have anxiety or depression or bipolar, we'll use medicines that will help the headaches that also help the moods. So it's crucial to tease out the comorbidities. We can't just pretend that we're just seeing a headache. It's a person, a whole person there with all of their comorbidities.
0: Are headaches more likely to be refractory in this population?
1: They're tougher. The bipolar patients may overuse narcotics more often. They may have more side effects to medications. And they do tend to have, in my experience, somewhat more refractory headaches. And where we go with refractory headaches can be difficult because there's not a lot of choices when nothing works. There are some, long-acting opioids. I do use stimulants. Sometimes we end up using daily triptans. We do Botox injections. But none of the choices are terrific.
0: Tell us some more about the stimulants and the Botox injections. That may be something that our audience isn't aware of.
1: Well, I just did an article on opioids and then a separate one on stimulants for refractory headaches. Stimulants, I think a lot of headache patients and people with bipolar are tired. Tiredness is their main complaint. So stimulants can fit, but the stimulants, while they can give headaches, the amphetamines and Ritalin-type medicine, the new one, Vyvanse, we're using some, often help headaches and they can help attention. So often in depressed patients who are tired, the stimulants perk up their energy, and they're less depressed, not because of a direct effect of the stimulants on depression, but more because they're helping energy and people feel better, they can get more done. So we find a wide role for stimulants. And I looked at demographics, at who overuses them, who they're good for. But I think that stimulants are are worth taking. Not provigil. Modafinil is provigil. It's good for energy, but it certainly is more likely to give people headaches and is a lot more expensive. So I think stimulants fill a role. Many people with depression and bipolar are in a mood stabilizer, sometimes an antidepressant, and a stimulant. And Botox has been good for about 12 years for headaches. They discovered it through serendipity. People get in it for wrinkles, notice that their headaches were a lot better. And I think that the Botox works probably better than most of our preventives, In my experience and in all the studies done, there's been many studies done on Botox. It is off-label for headaches, unfortunately. But about 55 to 60% of people get a reasonably good response. For two and a half, three months, their headaches are significantly better. And the mechanism of why Botox helps is interesting, probably through inflammation. It's actually a potent CGRP antagonist, not because it's just relaxing muscles.
0: Where do you inject it? Tell us some more.
1: Usually in the front, between the eyes and the temples, but we chase the pain. So if people have unilateral headaches, we'll do it more there. If they have a lot of posterior pain... We'll do the Botox back there. And it's a matter of cost, too. The little vials of Botox are $500, cost to the physician. So I think that low doses work just about as well as high doses. I think that we can get by with 30 or 40 units. There's 100 units in a vial. So I think that the idea is to minimize the cost and give it where the pain is.
0: Excellent. Thank you for being with us today. As always, you've enlightened our understanding of headaches and the bipolar spectrum. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much.
0: We have been discussing the bipolar spectrum in migraine cluster and chronic tension headaches. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on Reach MDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. We'd like to hear from you with comments or suggestions for other broadcasts. You can listen to our full library of podcasts by visiting us at reachmd.com. Use the password radio and get six months of free radio streaming live. And thank you, as always, for listening.